0: This is the Olive Wellness Podcast, brought to you by the Olive Wellness
1: Institute. Welcome to this episode of Olive Wellness Podcast. I'm Sarah Gray. It's well known that the olive leaf has been used for thousands of years as a remedy for respiratory conditions, stomach disorders, and urinary tract infections. That's according to Associate Professor Teresa Mitchell-Patterson, a naturopath with more than 25 years in clinical practice. An advocate of integrative medicine, she's an articulate and well-sought-after speaker on nutritional factors impacting bowel cancer. In this episode, Teresa explains why she recommends people use olive leaf extract, or OLE, and how its many health benefits differ from those of another olive product, extra virgin olive oil. She has presented an informative webinar on the evidence of OLE's impact on immunity at the Olive Wellness Institute's website. You can find a link to the webinar in this episode's show description. First though, what led Teresa to become a natural healthcare professional? She tells Chris Ashmore it stemmed from a significant event in her youth while she was living in London. I
2: had glandular fever when I was about 17 years of age And I didn't know it was glandular fever, but later on found out that I was positive for cytomegaly virus. So I've got those antibodies. But what was happening with me at the time was I couldn't work more than four hours a day. So that was actually really difficult because you can imagine living in a big city, you need to earn money in order to survive. And I just couldn't do it. I was absolutely exhausted. And along with that, I had a very low mood state. And that continued for a number of years. And I just couldn't envisage a future with that level of fatigue. So I sort of had a look around at various options and was given some fairly unpleasant options from generalised medicine. So I didn't deem to do that. And then I started looking around at natural therapies. And I found a lady that uh, was advocating a detox. She was doing live blood analysis at the time and something called clot retraction. And I decided that that was something I was interested in and thought, well, nothing else is working. This might actually help. So I did that, and it took me about a year to come out of that chronic fatigue state. And she put me on a a very strict diet that had no additives, no preservatives, no colors, no flavors, added flavors, that is. And it was almost a keto-type diet. I think I was allowed one carbohydrate a day from memory. And there was a supplemental regime and a detox regime, and she was quite forward-thinking in that day and age. She was a fellow of ANTA. ANTA is the Australian Natural Therapies Association. So you can imagine 20 years in practice way back then. That shows how old I am, by the way. But it was a long time ago and her name was Dr. Zaima McDonald and she was a naturopath. And I thought this stuff is really good because I started to get my energy back. I trained as a massage therapist, which I thoroughly enjoyed. But even at that stage, I wasn't quite through the chronic fatigue. I could only manage about four massages a day. And I know that some of my colleagues can do 10 to 12. I certainly could not have managed that. But as time went on, it got better. My energy levels started to rise. And I thought, well, I do like massage therapy, but I realized it wasn't the be all and end all for me. And I wanted to delve in a little bit deeper into the science behind why these Nutritional herbal supplements and basic good nutrition was working for me and my fatigue levels. I started off well first of all, I went back to Zaima and asked her if I could be an intern, and I joke about this because I was actually the pea lady and by and by that, I mean. I had to take out the pea samples every day and obviously didn't get paid for being an intern. But it was fascinating because she would analyse urine and do the live blood analysis and come up with some fairly interesting aspects of health just from doing a very simple dipstick and live blood analysis. I studied with her for about three years and then at the same time I studied herbal medicine with Dennis Stewart, a great lecturer, really enjoyed those studies, and then went on to do clinical nutrition with Dr. Robert Bust, and became fascinated with clinical nutrition. And then after that, I decided I'd like to get an advanced diploma in naturopathy, and I did that at the Australasian College of Natural Therapies, and I started to teach, and that's where my passion kicked in. I'm still teaching. I went on to do a Bachelor of Health Science in Complementary Medicine and then a Master's of Nutrition. And I'm now doing a Master's of Philosophy with a lead-in to a PhD. So along my journey i've witnessed so many positive moves to good health with supportive nutrition and also herbal remedies and and supplements and I must have seen over twenty thousand patients because that's what my little code tells me and I see natural health care as a collaboration between patient and practitioner, and I'm still teaching I'm managing the rigors of clinical studies in the Bachelor of Nutrition at Torrens Uni. And I just couldn't imagine my life in any other profession. And what I'm really enjoying about the profession is the advances in functional medicine and also in functional testing. But the link that we're getting with evidence based on some of our traditional herbal and naturopathic approaches. So that's really exciting and coming to the forefront. And I think that's the best thing about this profession.
0: Well, that's fascinating. And how is your fatigue today?
2: I would say that I'm definitely at 90%. Mm. I still have ups and downs. And I think that's dependent on the level of stress that I'm under. And we all know that the cytomegaly virus and Various viruses like that that cause glandular fever do tend to hang around. They are part of the pox virus. It lives in the ganglion of your nerves. And if you overdo it and burn the candle at both ends, then, of course, it will re-exert itself to some extent. So it's a good reminder that everybody needs to have a bit of rest.
0: Mm. Now, you've created a webinar, which is on the Olive Wellness Institute website, which showcases your in-depth knowledge of olive leaf extract. Could you give us an overview of the traditional and current evidence supporting OLE and and the immune system?
2: Yes, that was in May last year, May 2019, and it seems like a lifetime away because (laughs) so much has happened, not just to myself but to a lot of people in that time. And there's been new research on olive leaf extract, so a few more things have come to light. But in a nutshell, the ethnomedical use of olive leaf was mainly through a tea, and it was used in respiratory conditions. It was used for inflammation of non-specific types, and for stomach disorders, and also urinary infections its antibacterial effects were quite well known from about 500 BC. It's quite a long history there of its use. But olive leaf extract was first formally discussed and used in the 1800s, early 1800s, and used for fever. And around about 1843, it was used for fever associated with malaria. And then again, still being used for intestinal conditions in the early 1900s. And it was later discovered that the D-elenolic acid in the leaf had an immune-modulating effect against viruses in vitro. And they were small studies that had been carried out, but they were quite promising and the promising effect was its antiviral properties in both animal studies and humans for common flus and colds. Now, the proposed mechanism for the efficacy of its immune system effect, and particularly its effect in virus activation or inactivation, was the fact that it prevented shedding an assembly of viruses so it neutralizes reverse transcriptase and protease, which is quite fascinating if you read a bit about DNA and RNA. But for me, the most important factor is the reduction in its pro-inflammatory cytokines and also its tissue stabilizing effect, because this becomes very important at this time. It has the ability to stabilise tissue and membranes in immune and also non-immune cells. And secondary pharmacodynamics are its ability to prevent tissue oxidation and free radical damage. But the other thing that it does is it increases detoxification pathways, which in turn boosts and improves recovery from disease. Now, I think a lot of people are now sort of would be thinking after I've just stated that, that the herb would be very useful in this current environment. So I'd like to state at this point that I'm not advocating or suggesting that olive leaf extract can cure acute respiratory distress. And I don't want to lead anybody on to that conclusion because we definitely would need more clinical trials. But there are some very promising and very interesting facts to date. So both the influenza virus and other acute respiratory distress syndromes invoke an overproduction of early response pro-inflammatory cytokines or what's known as a cytokine storm. Now, this doesn't happen in every person that gets an acute respiratory distress syndrome, but it does in quite a few, quite a large percent. So the features of a cytokine storm in a body is where there's vascular hyperpermeability, so leaky vasculature, and a rampant upregulation of inflammation in the tissue that's affected, and that's obviously in this day and age, we're talking about the lungs, and increased blood clotting via thrombin. Now, in some in vitro human cell and placental cell trials, the effect on modulation of overt immune response and dampening of inflammatory cytokine storm was noted via something called interferon gamma. Now, it's the polyphenols in both olive leaf extract and the extra virgin olive oil, that are responsible for this action. And it may be useful in the prevention of the inflammatory processes and inflammatory diseases. So these are new pieces of research that have come out since I talked about olive leaf extract last year. I think the other most important thing to discuss about olive leaf extract is that it's really well-absorbed. And the active principles are now quite well researched. And it's also noted that it's the combination of the actives that are synergistic and potentize the effect of olive leaf extract. So we're not talking about isolating a particular active in the herb. We're talking about using every part of it. So that's the Oli-European the cyclooganosides, the oleosides, the hydroxytyrosol, Elenolate and methyl esters, and the ligstroside, ethyl acetate extracts, oleuracin A and B. So those are the active principles that we know of. They're all very useful. They all have different approaches towards decreasing inflammatory processes in the body and demonstration of reducing cytokine storms.
0: As a naturopath, Teresa, how would you recommend people use olive leaf extract?
2: My discussion with most of my patients in the past couple of months is to use it prophylactically. It's been noted that if you use it prophylactically, it can decrease the duration of a respiratory illness. Now, it may not stop a person from getting a disease, but I think it's important over winter to take something prophylactically so that if you do get a respiratory illness, you reduce the severity and the length of time that you're unwell. Over the months of winter, which would be March to October, and from the research It's suggested that it's approximately 15 grams of the fresh leaf equivalent a day or around about 75 milligrams of the oleo-european and 5 milligrams of the hydroxytyrosol. So in a good olive leaf extract, that would equate to about 15 mils a day for an adult. And For children aged 6 to 12, and I haven't gone lower than that age because there's no research in that earlier age bracket, but for children 6 to 12 years of age, between 20 to 40 kilograms in weight, somewhere between 5 and 10 mils a day. And it's taken with food because basically it goes down much better with some food, During an infection, I would suggest doubling the dose. It's relatively safe as a herb. The studies on olive leaf extract don't suggest any significant side effects with large doses, even for eight weeks and longer. So it's a very safe herb to take.
0: Mm -hmm. Extra virgin olive oil has also been shown to have many benefits to health. How does it differ from olive leaf extract?
2: Olive leaf extract has more biofennels and uh, flavonoids, and those are the active principles that are higher in the olive leaf extract. Whereas the oil, and I spoke to Ian Breakspear about this, who's a colleague of mine, has uh, more triterpenoids and steroids, which are not present in the leaf. The oil also contains some maslinic acid, some betulinic acid and squalene oil. And this is beneficial as a good nutritional food. You've only got to look at the evidence from the Mediterranean diet to realise that the oil itself has medicinal properties when combined with the Mediterranean diet. And help to reduce diseases such as type 2 diabetes, metabolic syndrome, cardiovascular diseases, high cholesterol, benefit in weight loss and the reduction of a number of cancers, which is some of the other research that has come to light.
0: And again, as a naturopath, Teresa, how do you recommend people use extra virgin olive
2: oil? I'm going to drop Jamie Oliver's name here because (laughs) I'd like to say a Jamie Oliver dose. You would notice that in all of his cooking, he literally pours it everywhere until the food's swimming in it. The latest research is somewhere between 50 to 60 mils per day, but I have gone much higher. For constipation, and it depends on, and I'm sorry to talk about bowels, but uh, you've got to bring those up at some stage. In some stubborn bowel conditions, I do suggest up to 100 mils of olive oil per day, and that certainly gets the bowel moving. From WebMed and medical news today, they're suggesting preventing heart disease is up to somewhere around the 50 to 60 mils, and... That's what I would imagine the other research was from. Up to a litre of extra virgin olive oil a week is possible. Preventing diabetes, they're suggesting up to 20 mils a day. For high cholesterol, somewhere between 20 to 25 mils a day. And for high blood pressure, 30 to 40 milligrams per day. So that's quite a lot of olive oil. But you will find that it's quite delicious. And if you get the right oil, of course, that is well manufactured and has gone straight from the tree to the manufacturing process within four hours and is measured for its active principles, then, of course, you're going to get all of the benefits of the oil.
0: It's maybe stupid question time, but uh, say... You don't get your dose of olive oil during the day. Perhaps you're having a meal at a family's house or someone else's house. Is it advisable to have a glass of olive oil on its own to get to that limit?
2: (laughs) Well, you you could do. It's an interesting little unknown fact, and I've just remembered it, but... Way back when I was having my fatigue issues, my mentor actually suggested if I couldn't get olive oil on my food during the day, that I blend it with a little bit of lemon juice and drink it.
0: And it tastes all right?
2: Tasted
1: fine. It was just like a creamy lemon. It was really quite nice. Associate Professor, Teresa Mitchell Patterson. That ends this episode of Olive Wellness Podcast. To learn more about the nutrition, health and wellness benefits of olives and olive products, please visit the Olive Wellness Institute website at olivewellnessinstitute.org. Until next time, I'm Sarah Gray. Thanks for listening.